0: You are listening to the Mom Halo Podcast. This sweet ear candy will serve up laughs and aha moments as we talk to best-in-class thought leaders. These folks are dropping gems of genius. I'm Melana Kafitz, CEO and founder of the Mom Halo Community. I'm a fun, fearless, freckled mom with three wild kiddos. I love to introduce you to ideas and people that will rock your world, all while laughing out loud because that is the only way to get through the daily grind of parenthood. Plug in your earphones and let's get to them. The Fuzzy Sprout is the next revolution in baby bath towels. No more juggling your baby and your towel, clamping your towel under your chin, or getting wet while you lift your little one from the bath. Their 100% organic cotton, uniquely designed, wearable baby towels are perfect for babies of all ages. Their towels snap around your neck so that both your hands are free to pick up your baby from the tub. Plus, they can be used multiple ways depending on your little one's age and size. You stay dry and they are wrapped up in seconds. This is the only baby towel you'll ever need for your growing little one. Use code MOM Halo for 15% off your purchase on their website at www.thefuzzysprout.com until May 1st, 2022. So welcome to the new Mom Halo podcast. I'm your host, Alana Capitz, and I'm super excited to have our first official guest. This is Delphine. Um, Delphine, welcome to the show. Thanks, Alana. I'm excited to be part of all of this. Um, i I've been I've known you forever. <laughs>
1: It's been a weird like we circled each other for a while, and it's finally the circle has connected. So yeah, it's quite exciting.
0: Tell everybody who you are, what you do.
1: who? Oh god, who am I and what I do? Uh, okay, so uh, I think first and foremost, I'm a mom. I'm a mom of three. Um, that's probably where I sit with my identity the most. Uh, so I have three kids: um, two boys and a girl, uh, and my eldest is. 12. I have to like think of their ages. My eldest is 12, my middle one is 10, and my youngest is six. Um, and uh, I've been an educator for, oh, you know, 18 years, which makes me feel very old now. Um, and I'm a person with a learning disability and grew up uh, going through special education. And so when I became a teacher, I wanted to be able to give back to the community that had given so much to me to put me um, on a good foot. Uh, so when I started my teaching career, I knew I wanted to be in special education. So I, um, kind of took my direction to special education. And as I started to work in special education, uh, what I didn't realize was that my own children would end up with, uh, neurodiversities and learning needs. And as I was going through for my own kids, even though I worked in the system, I was finding it overwhelming, didn't know where to find resources. I didn't know where to start. I didn't understand all of the acronyms, even though I worked in the industry. There was still so many unknowns. And as I started to work with families in the school system, I realized that they didn't know either. And it was sort of—I don't want to say blindly following because they were not blindly following—but it was definitely like putting all of their faith in the school system and hoping that it would be okay. But what sometimes happened was that um, it wasn't always that easy. And the system didn't always make sense. And so what I wanted to do was create um, the ability for me to use my knowledge and strength and expertise to be able to provide that and give it to families on a one-on-one basis instead of kind of relying on um, on sort of other helps or not feeling like they can ask the school system. So I created Access to Education three, four years ago, four years ago now. Um, and it's been such an amazing thing to be able to do, to work really closely with these families as they start their journeys, to understand, to support them with individual education plans, to support them through the system and understanding kind of the
0: how, the what, the when. So to run me through a typical experience. A parent mm. is in what What child is in what grade when they first come into your, your ecosystem? When does this all sort of manifest?
1: Yeah. So it really depends. Um, sometimes it can be very early on. It can be as early as preschool. Yep. There's one. (laughs) Thank you. Homeschool. (laughs) Um, but it can be as early as preschool. So I know for myself, for my eldest, um, it was in preschool, he wasn't able to sit and follow instruction. So he was like running all over the place and his behavior was not typical, so, you know, that started the ball rolling for us. I've certainly worked with families who get to sort of grade three and grade four and they realize that their child can't read and they think, well, what's happening? What do I do? Who do I see first? Do I go to my doctor? Do I have to get tutoring? You know, do, what, how can the school help me? What are the, what are the things that the school can do to support? How do I communicate with the teacher? Like, you know, sometimes asking a teacher can feel very um, overwhelming because, they're the expert, they're, they're the, the expert in education, but you are the expert in your child. And so sometimes being able to go to the teacher and say, you know, I'm sort of noticing this or that, or I'm worried about this, or how can we work together on this can feel difficult because, um, the, the teacher is the expert, as I said, in, in educating the child and understanding, the steps to education but you as the parent really have an understanding of like whether your child is a, you know a kinesthetic learner or one who really needs to talk to be able to understand things you are the expert in your child and being able to kind of express that to a teacher can sometimes feel difficult if you're not used to having to advocate if you don't know the process and it can be hard, and so having someone like me who can come in and help you and build a roadmap for you. So first, you're going to do this, and then you're going to do this, and, and work together and get sessions where we talk about what it is you need. And instead of you googling at 4 a.m. <laughs> going down the rabbit hole of where do I go, I do that for you. So you sleep, you rest, and I put a roadmap together for you. I love that,
0: and I think we're at a very interesting like <coughs> juncture of uh, awareness of learning difference of learning disability, of learning support. I mean, myself, I also struggled with learning disability um, for a lot of my life. And I actually am now sitting with my five-year-old trying to get him to read. And it's it's actually like post-traumatic stress for me because my parents bought Hooked on Phonics, like the actual full set. And my father worked with me endlessly. Like this was his commitment. He was gonna get me to read come hell or high water. And I have like post-traumatic stress disorder about Hooked on Phonics. And I'm now as a parent getting served up ads on Instagram for Hooked on Phonics for my own child. <laughs> so it's really interesting to see that there's sort of this, like I think new, um, a, a dawn of a new day in terms of learning differences and learning disabilities. Um, and you know, this the rise of the independent work plan, right? Like that. Yeah, an,
1: and I think, I mean, listen, let's talk about when we're recording this, right? We're recording this in pandemic. um, And I think it's brought to light a lot of things. And the, the other thing that has happened and that I'm noticing as I work with clients is that because as parents we now don't have the same access to the schools that we used to have. So you used to do pick up and drop off, you could stand in the schoolyard, you might see the teacher, you might be able to kind of do a check in before and after school. You would be able to get into the school for, you know, parent teacher interviews and, you know, curriculum night and all those things. So you had different access points where it allowed you to build a relationship with the teacher so that you felt comfortable going and speaking to the teacher, but now we're doing everything either over the phone or via email. And so there almost does feel like there's a wall between home and school. So especially for our kids with learning needs, this online learning where they don't get to see the teacher or they don't get the support teachers who are in the buildings as often it becomes difficult so that's where a lot of parents sort of have called me and said well how do I start the conversation where do I go who do I talk to the principal first do I talk to the teacher do I you know do I go all the way up to the trustee and it's like okay well, hold on a minute like start with the teacher like there is actually um sort of a hierarchy if you if you want to put it that way of like who you go to so you go to the teacher first you kind of have a conversation and if that doesn't work then you go to the vice principal or the print like so, and, and that's the other thing is, is sometimes if parents, um, they're trying to advocate for the best of their child and I get it. But when they jump the queue in terms of not going through teacher, principal, whatever, it can feel a little bit like, oh my gosh, this parent is, you know, wanting all this stuff and we can't do it. But you've got to start at the bottom. You've got to build a relationship with the teacher. And it's not always easy. I mean, building relationships with teachers or anyone isn't always easy. You know, you're not always going to see eye to eye on things, but just being able to say, Hey, you know, my kiddo needs a bit of help or how can you help me understand how to help my child? Right. Like making it about your child and what they need.
0: Right. No, it's very interesting. I think that there really is sort of a new um, understanding that there is so much learning differences and kids learn so differently. Um, You know, so when somebody like you comes into the picture who, Um, acts almost as like a a cheerleader, a coach, Mm -hmm. coach through those difficult moments. Can you um, tell me what are the most common um, phone calls you're getting these days? (laughs) And now a word from our mom. Halo podcast sponsor who needs superheroes when we have moms. Kids and Company is Canada's leading provider of childcare with over 100 locations across the country and in the United States. They're celebrating their 20th anniversary this year. And with 20 years of experience in the childcare space, comes a ton of innovation in how they cater to their families. They have in-classroom webcams, an app that provides daily updates for parents, a from-scratch menu, and wonderful high-quality educators. These are just a few of the amazing things about Kids and Company. My daughter attends one of their centers and I can vouch for how incredible they are, far beyond others we've attended. They're offering families who register and start care by July 31st, 2022, a waived registration fee that applies to new registrations only. Call their team at 1-800-MYKIDCO and use the code MOMHALO to register for this offer. You won't regret it. Still dealing with leaky diapers? It's time to try Rascal & Friends. Designed with you and your little one in mind, Rascal & Friends Premium Diapers ticks all the boxes. Affordable, safe on sensitive skin, deliciously soft and super absorbent. Plus, their unique design provides up to 12 hours of leak production to keep your baby comfy and dry, day and night. Join the thousands of parents making the switch and say goodbye to leaks. Shop Rascal, and Friends premium diapers, training pants, and sensitive wipes at Walmart today. Can you um, tell me what are the most common um, phone calls you're getting these days? (laughs) Um, It's a lot
1: about how do I get my child to just do the work, right? And my response is, well... What is it that you want them to do? Like, do you want them to sit in a desk the whole time? Because that might not be realistic. So I think a lot of it is around changing parents' expectation of what a classroom setting looks like or what the expectation is, right? So sitting for an hour isn't necessarily realistic with some of our kiddos, you know? Listen, playing with Play-Doh and creating the letter A and talking about the letter A and the words that go with the letter A and the sounds is the same as using a pen and paper and writing it down. Right. You're just doing it in a way that for that child makes more sense and maybe it's more engaging, right? I'm getting a lot of phone calls in terms of, um, you know, how do I get my child on an individual education plan? Well, that's, you know, that's a step and those there are processes to that. There are things that need to happen. The other big question is how and when do I get my child assessed for a learning disability? Yeah. Um, I mean, most school systems... Yeah, riff on
0: that yeah. a
1: bit. I think that's yeah. So most school systems, if you sit in a meeting with schools, will say to you, well, we don't test children for learning disability till grade three or grade four. Um I have an unpopular opinion in the education system that says the earlier we can get answers for a child, the earlier we can put interventions in, the more likely the child is to be successful. So I am a huge proponent of early intervention. That sometimes if you are a family who does not have insurance and cannot afford to pay for a a psychoed assessment, for example, which is what would tell us whether or not there's a learning disability, Mm -hmm. that's $5,000 for a psychoed assessment. It's a very in-depth document. It's an amazing document, but not everybody can afford it. So the earlier you can do that, the better. Most psychologists won't do that till children are at least six or seven. So you're looking at grade one or grade two, but you can at an early age at the age of three, four, five. So, you know, kindergarten years do what's called a developmental assessment. And that can be done at a local hospital. It can be covered through OHIP. You can get a referral from your family doctor to go and have a developmental assessment done. And we did that with both of our boys And what they do in that assessment is they look for markers. They look for signs of things because early on you can see the early issues and they can at least identify them. So my eldest very early on, um, the school actually thought he was autistic because of some of his behaviors, but that actually wasn't the case. He was, he has ADHD now, this is a different conversation, but ADHD and ASD can often be comorbid. They can be relatable, Um, but what they also said was that he probably, he had some markers for a learning disability. And because we knew I had a history and a family history of learning disability at the age of five, we were able to start looking for markers. So in grade one, when he wasn't reading, we were able to say, okay, we know that there's something we're going to start working with a tutor. And we started putting those things in place. Mm -hmm. So developmental assessments are great. The other assessments that you can have done are speech language assessments, So a lot of parents who have kids who have maybe been through Toronto preschool speech and language, and I feel like they've maybe changed the name recently, but speech language pathologists can also do assessments to see if there's language delays. Language delays can also be an indicator, an early indicator that there may be an issue with their learning. Not always, right? Sometimes children learn to speak later because they have older siblings, so they don't need to talk because somebody else is filling in all the blanks, but It's at least another way that you can get access to find out what's going on in that big, beautiful brain that they have. Because there's lots of good things happening. And just because there's a language delay, just because there's ADHD, just because there's autism, just because of whatever, doesn't mean your child can't learn. But what it means is the way in which they're going to learn is different So by finding out the information early and getting early identification of kind of what might be going on and what might be different means you can put in place early interventions Mm -hmm. that allow for the child to be as successful as they possibly can. And it's work. Like, I'm not going to lie to parents who are going through this. It, you know, it's not a okay, we know they have dyslexia, we'll get them reading tutoring and all will be fine. No, I mean, it, it, it takes much more than that. It's been, you know, hours and weeks and months and years of, of working and communicating with the school and creating a team. And I mean, just one of my kids has like five different specialists that work with him. So we're at Kids for psych for ADHD. We've got a tutor, we've got a social worker that he speaks to for his behavioral issues we've worked with different agencies i mean there's just so many pieces but early intervention is key so if you as a parent and let's talk about that parent gut piece if you feel like something is off as a parent it probably is i always recommend to clients the first place to go is your family doctor speak to your family doctor and say we're noticing they're not engaging with reading um they can't follow direction Um, you know, they don't seem to be wanting to learn to write, or, you know, the teacher is saying they can't sit still, all of those pieces, the family doctor is always your best place to start, because they can refer you for a developmental assessment, they can refer you to different places that can start assessments. Um,
0: So that's kind of where it starts. Yeah, I love that. So I think it's interesting as somebody myself who is hyper aware of my kids learning and their learning styles. I think because myself as a child went through that process. I'm Delphi and I don't often talk about it, but I was in a separate classroom with people mm-hmm. who were very, very, very um needs. They were need-based kids. Yep. Um, all three from grade grade four until the 12th grade, I had support through high school. Yep. Um, in a lot of ways, I feel very um. A kin, a kin spirit with you because I do find that um, kids who go through the special needs program sort of in the 80s and 90s, the 2000s, we sort of came out of the other side and not everyone's a success story, right? A lot of people fell through air quoting the the cracks, yeah. the educational cracks. I felt I'm somebody who does really well with one-on-one support. I've always done it. That's yep. why I love professional coaches. I love a business <laughs> coach. I love a fitness coach. I love a trainer. I like I love all those things. I love, um, outsourcing people who are experts of industry to use for my own personal life because I went at a very young age, I do very well, which is a little bit of one on one attention. So, um, you know, that's something that I noticed in myself. And I think, you know, I went through university doing very well, but I had support the whole time, yep. right? I had those early assessments. I got assessed all the time, I got extra time on the L set. I wrote my exams on computer starting grade eleven. I had somebody reading me my tests, you know. So yep. I think a lot of parents and I want to use this opportunity to have a conversation that let's just take away all the shame and blame and embarrassment about learning difference. And let's also talk about the fact that there's so many ways in which kids learn. I don't think people even understand when you get into these situations, the what is available to you is is jaw dropping, right? Getting yep. And a half on a university exam, mm-hmm. like, I really needed that time, right? Because yep. for me, a comprehension issue. I have a hard time comprehending things sometimes. It takes me a little bit longer time to process. And I really had a, a very delayed reading. But once I discovered the love of reading, um, everything for me changed. And that happened a little bit later in life, but it did happen.
1: Well, and so much has happened. Like, I don't know if you remember, but there was a program called Dragon. And it was this voice to text program called Dragon. And I had access to it in university. And I just was like, it's too cumbersome. You had to train it. You had the Dragon had to recognize your voice. And it took weeks to train this thing. I was like, forget it. I'm just going to learn how to type. So I got really efficient at typing. But my eldest has trouble getting the ideas the time it takes to process the idea get it in his head down his arm and onto paper or type it he's lost it but now he's got you know siri that he can talk to and she will dictate he's got voice to text on google on whatever like there's so many different things the technology now for our kids who struggle to allow them to be successful in an environment where no one will notice i don't know how you felt about it but when i was in high school and i think we're roughly the same age so i think we were like in the same kind of sphere i was the only kid with a computer and i felt different i felt like people were looking at me well why do you get one and i don't whereas now every kid in a classroom has a computer so there's nothing different about it you know all of our, our smartphones that's I mean, you it. can dictate text. My kids send me text all the time. And I promise you, they don't do it because they've typed it. They, they click on the microphone. They say, mommy, I need this. And they send it, right?
0: <laughs> oh, I love that. So, I, think, I think that's really an important point. You know, I remember doing a grade 11 math exam. And I had failed grade 11 math three times. And I was taking it in night school. I was taking it on the weekends. I was getting a math tutor. And I remember I was in a, a separate class for doing the math test. And I haven't ta- I haven't thought about this in so long. But I remember the teacher literally saying, You're not going to spend your life walking with a calculator in your pocket. And I'm right now, it's like, F you, man. Yeah, I am. I literally, every person does, you know? So I really, I think it's an exciting time to, to, to be aware of what those technologies are. Can you continue to give more like current examples of what? Yeah. So, okay.
1: But here's the caveat I want to give about the calculator. So, yeah, I'm on board with the calculator because I use it all the time. But here's the thing. As a teacher, right? So I'm an administrator as well, because that's my job now. I'm, I'm a vice principal in a school, but I'm also a teacher at heart, and that's where I started. So yes, the calculator is so important, but here's the thing. Parents who are saying, yeah, but I don't just want my kid to use the calculator all the time. If they understand the concept, so you understand that adding is making numbers grow, subtracting is making numbers smaller, you understand that division is dividing things into groups, Right then using the calculator becomes an acceptable option because they understand the concept of why. Right, right. So let's talk about the calculator is a great tool, but let's ensure that the child understands why they're using that particular operation. So that's just a caveat for people who are going to say, oh, but they can't use a calculator. So other things that we can talk about. Um, we can talk about the fact that now kids can do work at school, So they're working on a Google Doc at school on something. My kids do this often. They'll start an assignment at school on Google Doc and they'll come home and say, mom, I really didn't understand this. My middle kid who is severely ADHD and leaves everything everywhere, he's no longer losing papers because he doesn't have, I don't know if you remember, but I had like, I got very good at organizing because if I wasn't organized, I couldn't find my work. But now with things like Google Doc and OneDrive and our note system, my kids aren't losing their agendas because their agenda is a Google calendar and they put in what their work is. They type it in. My son, who, my eldest, who has a lot of trouble with his fine motor skills, so writing are really difficult. He takes his, um, his phone in with him to school and takes a picture of the schoolwork that is for that day for homework. So the barrier of having to write it down, he won't do that because it's too hard. But again, this is, see, this is where I created the teamwork between his school and home. I said to the teacher, listen, the agenda is going to be the barrier. He doesn't want to write it down. Can we take a picture? Sure. We made that arrangement, right? I built a, a community with him. We did that. So a lot of my students did everything on Google Doc so that they weren't Having loose leaf paper flying out of their backpack everywhere and they couldn't find it. And then, um, color coding things has become a big thing, right? You get, I know those of us who have Macs, we have sticky notes we can put on our, on our desktop. So you're not losing all the sticky notes all over the place because I used to lose mine all the time. Um, there's even something called a C pen now. It's C P E N and it's a stick that children can run along a book and it will read the text to them. Right. Because I, I was the same as you. Reading was very difficult. I don't enjoy it. I'm actually reading the book Educated right now, but I'm doing it on an audiobook on my phone and I'm really enjoying audiobooks. It's the same thing. And if you want to say, oh, well, I need my kid to have the book in front of them, get the audiobook, give them the physical book, and then they can follow. These are all little tiny things that make students who, who find reading and school difficult it removes some of the barriers, some of the difficulties, some of the struggles.
0: Yeah, it's interesting you say that. I actually learned to read. When I did find reading, it was my dad had gotten to the library and got a book on tape. Yep. And he was the big proponent of me reading, of course. So, you know, I had my Walkman, my headset like <laughs> this. In. Do you have and the big yellow, like, Sony that. Walkman? <laughs> and it was, Are You There? God, It's Me, Margaret by Judy Bloom, And I think I was nine or ten years old. And I had the book in front of me and I was listening to the audio book and I was like, holy shit, yeah. this is reading. This is amazing. So mm-hmm. I think I want to use this moment, Delphine, to sort of remove the stigma, remove the stereotype. And I think there's nothing wrong with advocating for our kids and coming up with creative strategies for them to find joys and moments that like, you know, obviously them having core basic skills of sure. reading, reading math, I get it. When do we see a difference between and I'm saying this completely out of my own yeah. curiosity because I when I formed my questions in my life. But what's the difference between when we assume there's a learning disability or maybe there's like a little bit of laziness or a little bit of let's say um just an unwillingness like school school sucks sometimes. People don't it, want yeah. to learn. they don't want to learn. Um, I see some of my son who's in senior kindergarten some of his peers are already reading very well. They came from Montessori or whatever it is. There's other girls in his class who are excellent drawers, really can make like beautiful pictures. And my son isn't particularly good at any one thing, he just is a great, nice kid. But when it comes to those moments, so you know, his, his scholastics, his drawings are quite rudimentary, and his reading skills are quite rudimentary. Um, I'm not particularly concerned at this juncture, but my eye is on it. I'm thinking about it in the back pocket, but where's the difference between? I don't want to, versus, or this isn't fun or not interesting, versus actual learning disability or learning things or learning challenge.
1: So it's really hard to answer that question because it depends. And I say that because sometimes the reason the child doesn't want to engage with, I'm going to use drawing as an example, because they just don't like to draw. Right? Right. Now, maybe it's that they have a weakness in their hands and drawing is hard, so it hurts their hands, so they're not going to do it, right? There isn't really a way to tell. I will say in terms of hand drawing, from my experience, and remember, I'm not an occupational therapist, so I'm, you know, I'm giving this from my experience of working with children, Um, but if, you know, they have a a funny way of, so... I'm going to hold my hand up to here. And so those people, you know, if you're watching this, you can see I've got like the tripod pencil hold, which is what we expect to see. But if children are are giving other types of holds and they're unable to do this tripod, which is really the best way to hold a pencil, then you can start saying, okay, I think there's something happening with their hands. So if they can't do little Lego, so if they can't pull the little Legos apart and they can't build Lego because it's too hard on the dexterity of their fingers, then you can start thinking okay I think there might be something more than just I'm not interested in doing it because there actually is a difference between I'm not interested because this isn't something that engages me versus I'm not interested in it because I just don't know how. And and part of it is if they don't see us doing it. So as an adult you are the role model for your children. So if you sit and read a book, your yeah. children will want to sit and read books. If you sit and let's say type emails. Cause I mean, I do write letters on paper from time to time, but it's rare, but like, you know, if you don't do the things that your children do or don't want to do, then it right. It kind of your children are like, well, my parents don't do that. Why would I want to do that? But it also is how engaged is the learning for your child. So if they're um, a hands-on learner where they need to learn by doing, then sitting with a book is maybe not going to work. But if you have say cut up alphabet letters and you put the word cat together so this is where you get into sort of um, there's some types of reading uh, tutoring called Orton, Gillingham, Barton, and Wilson training. And these tutoring systems are um, multisensory. So they're not just sit and memorize the word cat. It actually is take the letters and pull the tiles together. Um, and the new things that kids have now, I'm surprised I don't have one down here, um, is the poppets. So you would get the child to go k at, and pop the pops down and say, so, okay, how many sounds did you hear? I heard three. Well, what does k say? K comes from, and they might say K. They wouldn't be wrong, but they would be in terms of spelling, but the sound is a kuh. So then you could say k at, and then they, right? So you're you're making it, it's not just sit with a book and turn the pages and read it. It's actually engage with the letters. It's the same with numbers. So instead of just getting them to write numbers one to 10, um, one of the big things now is to use something called a 10 frame. So you draw a rectangle and in it, you make 10 squares and then find anything. You can find Cheerios, you can find Frosted Flakes, you can find, you know, chocolate chips, M&Ms, whatever you want to use and say, show me the number 20. And you have two 10 frames and they fill it in. okay well, now if I eat five of your M&Ms, how many do you have left? And again, it's that physical thing of like pulling it away and then you know, putting it back on. So there's all kinds of different ways. And I think I just want to go back to something you said a while ago about the stigma of learning disabilities. Yeah. One of the biggest things we as educators encounter when we have children who are struggling is parents' fear of stigma. Fear that if their child is labeled as a person with a learning disability, fear that if their child is labeled with anything, that it will inhibit their future education endeavors what i want parents to hear really clearly right now is especially in high school they are starting to remove um, the streaming of kids so in the 21 22 school year all grade nine students start at an academic level they come into high school no matter whether they have a, a learning disability or not whether they're on a modified individual education plan or not here in Ontario, all students are put into grade nine. And then at the end of grade nine, those teachers work together with the student to decide where should they go? Should they go in the academic, which is what we would consider to be the university bound student. Should they go into sort of a general or sort of applied one, which tends to be college, but not always. And then there's locally developed. And that's a very different scenario. The locally developed is for kids who are very, 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 very far behind. And that's a whole other conversation. But I think parents need to understand that the education system, because it's now moved towards an inclusive model. So where you and I were withdrawn into small classes that were maybe eight kids with a teacher and an EA. I don't know if that was your experience, but that was mine. Um, were you usually also only the only girl? I was one of maybe two girls in the class ever. It was mostly boys who were in those programs with me. (laughs) So it was always a very weird feeling, but just for parents to know that like the education system is shifting to an inclusive model, which means those old ways of thinking of like, well, if you were modified in grade eight, then you have to go into applied past the applied before you can go into the academic. That shift is starting to change. So what is important though, and you made this point earlier is that by having the identification of a specific learning disability, it actually opens doors. So, it opens the door to have more time on the exam. It opens the door to have, you know, maybe a, a, a computer provided by the school if you can't afford one, for example. It opens the door for your child to go into um, a smaller class sometimes to work with a teacher who can help them organize what they need to make sure that they're on track. In university, it opened the door for me to have a note taker. I didn't need to write notes. I could just pay attention to the two hour lecture. The
0: That's best the
1: thing, thing ever. Yeah. Because I couldn't, p- now, I mean, now we all have phones and I guess we can record them. But like, without those designations, you actually inhibit support systems. So, I understand why parents wouldn't want that. And I get it. My parents for a long time said to me, you know, the fact that you have a learning experience needs to be kind of, you know, we we don't really talk about it. Um, But we talk about it all the time in my house. We talk about what their learning challenges are. So, sorry, I moved away from the idea of like kind of what supports there are in terms of, you know, technology and stuff to move kids forward, but to go back to the idea of the stigma and really just remembering as parents that it's overwhelming initially, it's hard to hear listen, it's grieving. Let's be honest. You went from thinking you'd have this brilliant child who would be totally normal and go about things and and it would all be fine. And there's a bit of a like, even for me, and I was a person with a learning disability and I'm a teacher. I kept thinking, what are people going to think of my child who can't self-regulate? And I'm his, I'm his regulator. You know, do people judge me? What is their judgment of me? What did I do wrong? Mm -hmm. You haven't done anything wrong. This is the way the brain developed. You can't, it, you didn't do anything to cause this. Nobody caused this. It just is what happened.
0: I think I think it's a really good point because I think there is this sort of um fear that like that learning disability means dumb or slow mm-hmm. or stupid or whatever those sorts of things. Um really like bullyish sort of schoolyard yeah. name calling moments um where where those things sort of manifest and can really be very detrimental to a kids Well, and to the family, right? And especially
1: if you're, I mean, if you're an immigrant family to this country, right? Because most of us who grew up here and and who started here, that, that stigma doesn't really exist. I mean, it's there, but it's not the same. But there are lots of countries who, if you have a child with a special need, you're seen as less than, you're seen as not important, your child isn't seen to be given the same opportunities. And so I've certainly worked with families who have come from overseas, different countries who've immigrated to Canada. And when I tell them, but we have supports for your child, they say to me, you're going to help my child? And I say, well, yes, that's what I'm here for. And so they come with their own understanding of it. And when we can start to change the frame of these kids have a different way of thinking that isn't good, bad or wrong, it is just different. And that if we allow ourselves to be willing to look at their way of thinking the world becomes a more colorful place, which I think is awesome.
0: It is awesome. And I, I really love this conversation for so many reasons. I think, um, you know, our, our audience, our parents from many different ages and stages and vintages. Mm-hmm. And I think our moms are also from a, a very wide variety of backgrounds. Um, if you could help can give people one piece of advice before we leave today, What would it be when it comes to the conversation around navigating your children's experiences with understanding perhaps the um, trials and tribulations of learning differences or learning Mm disabilities? There's so many things, but
1: I think if I had to really pick one, it would really be like, trust your gut. Cause that parental mom gut, you know, dad, mom, whomever, if you really feel something's not okay, ask someone, Mm -hmm. just ask someone you trust, whether it's another friend and say, you know, I don't know. I feel like, you know, Sam isn't doing this, that or the other is your child doing it. Mm -hmm. Um, and really family doctor and teacher, those are your two big people to go to, to start things. Um, and I mean, if you don't know, come to someone like myself who, who is a consultant and I work with families to help them figure that out. You know, I can help you walk through that in a non-judgmental way because there is no judgment. There is no harm in asking the question. All that happens by saying, I think there might be something is you start to find answers and finding answers is how you start to be able to move forward because without the answers, you don't know what road to take. You don't know where you need to go. So, you know, find the person that you trust the person who you feel can give you an honest answer and um, just say,
0: you know, I'm worried about this. What should I do? Yeah. I wanted to just make one thing clear. Cause you said it earlier. You said that you came from a family of people who have learning disabilities and your kids have learning disabilities. Mm-hmm the inherited trait
1: it yes they are discovering now that it is an inherited trait so uh I have a biological aunt uh who's dyslexic and then uh I'm dyslexic my boys are dyslexic and I actually have my some of my cousin's kids are also and actually I've got one half brother who has a A child who's also dyslexic so yeah it tends to run in families so that's the other thing is that if there is a family history even undiagnosed so we know there are lots of adults who are getting diagnosed with you know asd or adhd or any of those things you know if you think you may have been a child or an adult with it then chances are your kids have it and it doesn't make you or your child a bad person a wrong person a not smart person it just means you think differently that's all it
0: is i love that um, okay. Well, if somebody wants to find you or follow you. Where do you live with- content at uh, where can people find you yeah so
1: uh, I'm on Instagram and Facebook at access to it's with the number two education Toronto uh, that's where you can find me on Facebook and Instagram I also have a website that's access to again with the number two education.com and I've got a podcast um, also under the same name uh, pretty where any pretty well anywhere you listen to podcasts uh, access to education and there I talk to experts I share stories from families I share my story um, all those things are up there and it's, um, been a lot of fun to meet some of these other families and speak to experts about how we can help our kids.
0: I love that. If there was one tool that every family should have in their household right now, I love the idea that alphabet poppet. I didn't know that existed. I'm going to buy that. It so was, it's just
1: I, a regular poppet and you just use it to do sounds. It's amazing.
0: Oh, wow. Amazing. Yeah.
1: Just, if you've got one in your house, you can already do it.
0: <laughs> okay. I love it. Um, uh, tell me then, uh, was there any other tool that you think is rudimentary that people should have in their family home? when it comes to access to education yeah I think there's two things uh lots
1: of books lots of books just have them around um and lots of things to count with and it doesn't have to be uh physical numbers you know just I don't know count uh how many pieces of macaroni are in their bowl right make it fun make it enjoyable and don't make it stressful I love
0: have fun that. with it I love that oh hi, sweetie. <laughs> A little dolly just popped up into the video. It was super great to have you on the podcast today. Um, I wish you guys so much luck and I know that this is probably coming to you at a very trying time. Um, You know, and my sort of concern for a bunch of these kids who have obviously had years to back to back with COVID and haven't had uh, the opportunities perhaps to even learn to read before grade one. So that's that's concerning to me, and that's sort of in the back of my mind um, as we sit here homeschooling times <laughs> of January 2022. But, here we um, go again. <laughs> thank you, Delphine, so much. Have a great Thanks, Alana. Take care. Bye. Bye, bye. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode of the Mom Halo Podcast, I would love your support by sharing it with others, posting about us on social, or leaving a really good rating and review to catch all the latest from me you can follow me on Instagram at the mom halo. Thanks so much and I'll see you next time. Sick kids is helping redefine what's possible in pediatrics. Also children can lead healthier, happier lives. In 2021, Project Halo raised over $150,000 to help build a new SickKids, designed to better serve patients and families. This will include spaces devoted to parents and caregivers, spaces to feel calm, relief, and rest. We are calling on our community again this year to join us in helping build a state-of-the-art hospital. Together, there are no limits to what we can achieve. To learn more and to donate, go to fundraise.sickkidsfoundation.com backslash Project Mom Halo. Thank you for your generosity and support.